And you will turn in your Bibles in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4. If you're wondering how the rest of our service is going to go, I'm going to preach a message, we'll sing a song, and then we'll have a closing challenge. Uh, We are doing things obviously a lot different with all the things uh, happening in our world and just trying to do our part for social distancing. Uh, We are, you know, not gathering together this morning, but trying it this way. Uh, So one of the things that I wanted to talk about and just encourage you to do is uh, for your communion time, practicing the Lord's Supper. Uh, The opportunity that you have together today is at one of your meals together as a family or uh, even on your own, just to take a moment within the service uh, or within your supper. Somebody's coming in. Okay. All right. Um, I'm distracted. Anyways, within the context of your meal, we are going to uh, practice the Lord's Supper. And it's pretty simple. Within the Lord's Supper, you would just take the bread and the juice, and that you would recognize that Christ is Lord and Savior. All right. If you are in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. All right. We've got plenty of distractions. It turns out I don't need really anybody to distract me. Uh, for those that are regulars at the Etna Green Church of Christ, they will certainly appreciate that. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus calming the storm. When we think about life, when we think about what we are facing in the world uh, today, it's pretty easy to see that chaos is all around us. And when we think about chaos, uh, we easily think about fear. And what people do with fear is three things. They either hide, they either hate, or they um, they hoard. So they keep for themselves, they hide for uh, hide in their fear, and they also uh, reject it, and they are filled with anger and frustration. So you think about fear, you think about chaos, you think about when the world is sort of uh, shaking at its foundations, we realize that we have a tendency to hide, hate, and hoard. And it's strange and unusual to me that we would think that... Uh, that the solution to the problem is to hoard uh, toilet paper. Uh, Why we would do that, I don't know. There's a lot of strange things that happen. And explaining that one doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But as we think about the problems that we face, that there is chaos everywhere, and we want to do all that we can to sort of create order and control. What we desire most right now is for things to be back to normal. And so our response is to somehow try and bring about some sort of semblance of order and and things back to the way that we desire them to be. And so the question is, what must we do? How do we trust God when things don't seem to be going the way that we desire them to go? How do we trust God and know that he's in control and that, one, that he has the power to control and keep things say. And so in our story this morning, that comes from the Gospel of Mark, is the story of Jesus calming the storm. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. 
Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. They, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I love how our story begins this morning. The day, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Let's go over to the other side. They're just heading across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, hey, this is where we're going to go. And Jesus gets out of the boat and he takes a nap. He says, this is where we're heading. This is what <laughs> needs to happen. And so he gets on. They're all aboard the boat. And they have, they have their plans in place. And suddenly, without notice, and without, uh, without much warning, the storm comes and the plans are upended. I'm reminded of the great Saint Mike Tyson. He said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. I'll pause for laughter at home. And the, uh, there'll be a little of that happening from now on, I guess. Cheap jokes, but, uh, but when we, you know, everyone has a plan. I was thinking about this. Do you even remember what your 2020 New Year's resolution was? Like our New Year's resolutions don't make any sense right now. I, I, for the life of me, don't know what I even tried saying I was going to do. Like right now, the plans that I had in place were just kind of like, they don't really even matter. And I find it interesting that it's really easy to be agreeable with Jesus. Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. Okay, I agree with you, Jesus. I'm going to go with you. And then suddenly, the storm comes and all the agreeableness is gone. It's like the plans that were in place, they no longer work. And the line of thinking that might be going on within the disciples is, is if he said, when we get on the boat, there's going to be this incredible storm, the disciples probably would not have gotten onto the boat. They would have said, no, that's not in the plans, and that's not really something I want to agree to. So let's, let's not do that. And so the plans are in place, and the plans are completely upended in the disciples' eyes, and Jesus is asleep. I imagine that the disciples, if they would have had cell phones, they would have gotten out their weather app, and they would have wanted to know whether or not how long the storm was going to last. They may have even gotten out their Google Maps and they would have wanted, wanted to know just exactly where they were uh, on the lake at that time just to kind of get themselves calibrated. They probably would have called the Coast Guard. They probably would have done any number of things that they possibly could have done to find control and find peace. And the only response that they have that is available to them, and the only true available response that we have when our plans fail is to go and wake up Jesus. 
And we need to know that. And I think that sometimes we forget that, that maybe we can control the situation by scrolling through Facebook and getting as much information as we possibly can. That we can control the situation by knowing every bit of news information so that we can just sort of cling and control so that we don't have to fear and we don't have to worry that our plans would still be in place and we could still have all the control that we long for. Everyone has a plan until the storm comes. There were other boats with them, with them, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over their boat so that it was nearly swamped. The Sea of Galilee is notorious for storms that would just sort of brew out of nowhere. And they would come, and they'd be fast, and they'd be furious. And the, uh, the people of Israel, the Israelites, they are not seafaring people. They are farmers, and they are shepherds. They are not seafarers. They don't travel the world by way of sea. They are, they are fishermen, and that's the extent of it. And they would fish only in the evenings, because... These storms wouldn't pop up as frequently in the evening. It came to be this thing, this, the story of sort of water in the story of Scripture. The disciples would look back on this event, and they would see the story of Israel at play, at work in our text, and what's going on on this boat, even in this moment. In the moment, I don't think the disciples are like, oh, gee, this is like when God created the heavens and the earth. In the moment, they are afraid for their lives. But when they know the whole story and they know Christ as Lord and Savior and as the Son of God and full of power and grace and might, they look back and they see what Jesus is doing and they realize what power was on the boat with them. They would look back and they would see this is just like Genesis 1 when God creates the heavens and the earth and he separates and he, uh, he separates the earth and the water, the sea and the land. And what God is doing is forming and filling his creation. They would also look at this text and they would remember Christ and his victory over the, uh, over the storm and they would be reminded of the exodus of the Israelites who would leave Egypt and God would part the sea. And the people of God would pass through. They would remember the story in Joshua when the Israelites finally get to enter into the promised land. And the Jordan River is in flood stage and the water is just flowing so fast that it would sweep them away. But God goes before them and enters into the water and the water is stopped in the Jordan River and the people of God would pass into the promised land. They would be reminded of Jonah who's on the boat, who's running from God's plans and the waters are just being tossed. And the fishermen and the travelers with Jonah, they don't know what to do. And Jonah knows that if I'm most just thrown from the boat, the sea will be calmed and God will settle the sea. The Israelites came to believe their God was the one true God. And they would tell the world that there wasn't many gods, but there's one God. And his name is Yahweh. His name is the Lord. And they would say and believe and trust that God was the one who is greater than the sea. That God is the one who can calm the oceans. The oceans became for the Israelites 
It represented chaos. It represented evil. It represented all the things that they couldn't control. If they were, if they were fearful, they would say that the seas were roaring. And God, would you calm the sea? Would you calm the storm? They trusted and they believed that God was the one who could do this. And so when the disciples, at the end of this moment, realize they, they wake up Jesus and they say, don't you care about us? And don't you care about what we're trying to do? We, we won't make it to the other side if you don't wake up, Jesus. And Jesus, he stands in the boat and he says, peace. Be still. And the water becomes like glass. And the sea is no longer roaring. And the disciples begin to look at one another and they believe something has changed in their understanding of what is going on. There is one who has power over the wind and the sea. And that power is only for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That power is only for God. And so what Mark and what all the disciples are doing when they share the gospel story, and they share this story in particular, they are telling us one, uh, one, uh, one after the other that God's kingdom is breaking in, that God's kingdom is on the loose, and this one who is here, this one, this one who has done this most powerful thing, showing us the power of the kingdom of God and the power that's on the loose in Jesus Christ. Mark opens his gospel that Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what Mark is doing, one story after the next, is showing how God's kingdom is being unleashed, how God's kingdom power is breaking into the world. One person after the next is believing and seeing and knowing. When the demons, when the demons are shackled, when the demons are no longer being uh, holding people captive, when people are being set free and forgiven of their sins and forgiven of their trespasses, forgiven of all of the brokenness that they've been a part of. Jesus is unleashing the kingdom power of forgiveness, of love, of healing, and he is showing himself as one who can be trusted. It is so curious to me that Jesus can lay his head in the stern of the boat and sleep on his pillow when chaos ensues. When you have the presence of God and the trust in God, he is showing where his true allegiance lies and where his true trust is. It's in the faithful presence of God the Father being with him on every occasion. Our story is one that ought to bring us comfort. But the disciples at the end of it says, say that they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him, obey him. 
They were terrified. In the awesome presence of God, they didn't know what to do with themselves. When I look at our text this morning, I trust and believe that there is hope for us and an and encouragement as we move forward. You see, Jesus will face the greatest storm. There will be lies and there will be persecution and Jesus himself will take on the sins of the world. He will be broken and crucified. He will enter into the storm and he will be saved. He will be lifted up. And the power of God will be on display on the cross and in the resurrection. Yet again, as greater than the worst storms of life, Jesus is greater than even death itself. Only now on this side of the cross and the resurrection can we see what God has done. And so now it's the challenge before us that we too can find ourselves with the same power that resurrected the Lord Jesus from the dead is the same power that's alive in us. And because of Jesus' faithfulness, now I can be faithful. And I can look at the storms and situations and the chaos and all of the things that are happening in our world and I can say to myself, I don't need to hoard I don't need to grasp and cling to things for myself, though I'm not going to share any of the toilet paper I have. I don't need to hoard, but I can live generously and graciously. I can live generously because I can trust and know that I have Christ greater than death, greater than all the storms alive in me. I don't have to hide in fear. Though people are telling us to live in isolation, my isolation does not need to cripple me in fear. I can practice social distancing without isolation. I can love and I can serve, and I can do it in small numbers with great people who love the Lord. I can call my friends, and I can call those that I care about. I can check in and text message. I can think and be aware of ways that I can serve and love and encourage. I don't need to hide in fear. I can live in love and serve. And I don't need to let the hate brew in my heart. In fact, I get to grow in love and a love for God and a love for others and love for my enemies. I can embrace the slowdown and return to God in prayer and enjoy his peace. I was watching the news and it came to realize that China, by shutting down so many of its factories, that there is a generation of children who can now see the stars and the sky for the very first time. Think about that for a moment, that there are people who've lived 10 years of their life and they never once have seen a star. 
but the smog has cleared and people are seeing for the first time the majesty of God's universe. It is my prayer. It is my hope. It, it will be all of our joy that by the shutting down of the rat race, the shutting down of everything that has filled our calendars, everything that has been busying our lives with all the stuff that's going on every day of our life, by shutting it all down, the people will see God for the first time. The people will see Jesus again. They will see them, he, they will see him in their life, and he will draw near to them. The people would trust in him once again. Because Christ is there. Christ is there with you in your home. Christ is there with you in the midst of your loneliness and your heartache. Christ is there even if the economy crashes, even if the coronavirus makes its way into our communities. Christ is there because His Spirit is with us. And friends, I think that Jesus is awake. Now is the time for each of us to wake up to Jesus. The one who cares for you deeply and gave his life for you. Will you ask for Jesus to wake up your soul to him? Will you hear from him and spend time with him and draw near to your Lord and your Savior? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Though it's unusual and different and strange and hard and distracting in so many different ways. We know you are with us. That you care deeply for us as your children. And God, we praise you and thank you for the hope and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to find the way. Help us to hear the truth. And this week, as things still will slow down, I pray, God, that we would hear from you. That in the midst of the storm, we would listen to you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. At the end of God's Word, the very last book, the very last picture of hope that we get in Revelation 21, there's this little interesting thing that happens. We see a new heaven and a new earth are made. And then it adds this one little statement. And it says, and the sea is no more. There is a day coming in which Jesus will make all things new. 
And when he makes all things new, all of the sin, all of the brokenness, all of the hurt, all of the suffering, the sea, the chaos, the unexpected, all of the things that we can't control and upend our lives, it will be no more, and what will stand is the kingdom of Christ. Jesus invites us to come and believe this good news, that you have life in his kingdom. Don't ever forget the promise of scripture, that there is a new heaven and a new earth, and the sea will be no more, and God the Father will wipe every tear from our eyes, and he will call us his own. Close with us in the singing of one of the best songs that I can ever think of in this moment. That Christ has overcome. That Christ has overcome death and sorrow and sadness and brokenness. This gift is for us. 